0: Last week, as we began this series, I wanted to to establish biblically where we need to position our feet as the people of God. What does the Bible say about life? What is the value of life? Because after all, America is deeply divided over these issues. We're pitted against one another In, in all realms. Politically, we're pitted against one another. Morally, we're pitted against one another. Racially, we're pitted against one another. We're in a fight for the soul of this country, as I said last Sunday. And, and in this fight, we're, we're trying to figure out who we are going to be, who we are today and what we're going to be as we move into the future. And in this fight, we as the church, we as the people of God, cannot passively sit on the sidelines. We cannot passively sit around and, and hope that someone else figures it out or passively sit by and, and allow someone else to take the lead in this. We must speak to the issue. Now, this is not a political position that we must take There are political positions that would favor what the Bible would say. It's not necessarily a moral issue that we take. It's not a racial thing that we take. We want to take the position of God's Word and flesh that out in our lives. And the best thing that we can do is to preach and to share and to live out the gospel in a culture that desperately needs Jesus Christ. So as we seek to not be a silent observer, we shouldn't necessarily take up posters and riot or protest or whatever you want to do from that standpoint, but we should go and preach the gospel and live the gospel, point people to Jesus. So we have a role to play in the fight because God has called us to be salt. God's called us to be light. He's called us to be those who would bring flavor and a preserving presence to a very decadent world. We're to be the ones who shed light into the darkness of Of this society. We're having, as the church, a hard time understanding the times. I love that the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that the men of Issachar understood the times. May the church today understand the times in which we live so that we can speak to it with truth and with love. That's what we need to be. And so as the church, we need to understand the times that we're living, be able to speak into that that time, and enact the change that is necessary. But again, the change comes through the preaching and the teaching and the living out of the gospel. We don't espouse a philosophical position. We espouse a gospel position when it comes to our culture. So we as the Lord's followers, as his disciples, we need to make sure that we view what's happening in the culture through the lens of faith. And not a blind faith, a faith that adheres to the teachings and the mandates of Scripture. See, see, what we need to do is make sure that we're interpreting cultural things that we're seeing through the lens of Scripture, not vice versa. We don't want to look at the uh, the Word of God and, and try to understand or try to be able to speak to the situation of day looking at it through the lens of culture. We must look at culture through the lens of Scripture. You see, in order to equip ourselves, in order to be able to engage in this conversation, that's why we're looking at these six things. That's why we're looking at the issue of life. That's why we're looking at the issue of race today. That's why we're going to look at the issue of social justice, the issue of immigration, the issue of sexuality, and the issue of the environment. How do these topics, these subjects that people are talking about, how do they impact us? But better yet, how do we as God's people, gospelly? there's a new word I just created for you, gospelly. Gospel-y. You can do that when you stand on a platform. You can just make up words. How do we speak the gospel into these subjects? How do we speak on behalf of the Lord to these areas? See, my prayer in all of this is not that we can go out there and argue our case, but rather than that, that we can go out and speak to people, engage them where they are, and speak the truth of the gospel into their situation, into their lives, and help them understand that the Lord gives us a better design. We don't have to fight over racial issues, and I'm going to argue why in just a minute. We don't have to argue those things because we have a better design. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we began looking at the issue of life. There, we discover that human beings, you and I, we have intrinsic and eternal value because we are created in the image of God. There's something special about us. This understanding of the value of human life, then, as we look at it, study it, understand it, as we apply it to the other things that we're looking at, we see that they, or that this is the foundation of by which we address all these other cultural areas in debate. It's the framework for what we're looking at this morning in race. Genesis chapter 1, I want to read these three verses we looked at last Sunday because they speak to the main crux in this controversy. Genesis 1, verse 26. And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, living thing that moves on the earth. Last week, I said a statement. I'm going to say it again this morning. We learn most of what we need to know about life, how we view life, how we understand life, how we value life from the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. We learn how to value life by what God says here in the creation accounts and what he does there in the midst of the fall. See, if we get Genesis wrong, if our view of Genesis is wrong, then our view of life becomes wrong. And when our view of life is wrong, our view of one another is also wrong. We begin to see each other as different rather than the same. We get to see each other as, I'm better than you, or you're better than me, and there becomes this controversy. But when we begin to see what God says in the beginning of his word, that you're intrinsically and eternally valuable, and so is the person next to you and the one who lives across the road from you and the people who live on the other side of the world from you. and we, When we are all intrinsically and eternally valuable to God because of our creation, then we begin to understand and have a platform upon which to understand the issue of race and the controversy that's there. These chapters depict for us how human beings came into, exa- into existence. They tell us how we are created in the image and the likeness of God. Last week I told you that the idea of the image is this picture of you're a chip off the old block. There's something divine about you. And then it's coupled with this word likeness which kind of smooths it out to tell us that we're not a clone of God. We're not God but we're like God in some ways. There's some divine aspects to our creation. There's some divine aspects to who we are and how we've been formed. Therefore, the intrinsic and eternal value becomes innate within each and every one of us because we are made in the image of God. This value brings clarity to the debate here. See, the Bible has a lot to say about race. The Bible has a lot to say about race relations. And I believe one of the most profound things that we learn in God's Word is that the Lord rejoices. He celebrates the diversity and ethnicity. God celebrates the diversity of His creation. And yet that's what many times causes us to fight with one another is the difference. But how much difference is really there? As we seek to understand in this conversation or this debate on race, there's three things that I want you to know this morning. Then I'm going to come back and share with you four things, sort of application very quickly at the end. But let me give you three truths concerning race this morning. Truth number one is this. Race is arbitrary. Well, Pastor, how can you say it's arbitrary? The Bible teaches that it's arbitrary. Here's what I mean. Racial classifications are not real classifications. When you think about race, there's only one race, human race. I'm going to argue that in just a minute. I think it will be very clear to you that we there's not multiple races in this world. There's one race. It's us. It doesn't matter if we're red, yellow, black, and white, as the old children's song that we used to sing clarifies. It doesn't matter. We're all one race. I found some scientific Answers for this as I was looking this this week and came to Answers in Genesis. Again, I said, you know, if we get Genesis wrong, we get the, the rest of the Bible wrong. And if we get Genesis wrong, we get the rest of our lives wrong. And so I love the ministry called Answers in Genesis that just teaches a lot of scientific. What it does is Answers in Genesis takes the teaching of the Word of God on creation and clashes it against science and shows you where science proves the creation account of God's Word. And so Answers in Genesis says this about the races. I learned there in one of their articles that the characteristics that you and I, that people use to differentiate between races, they're really nothing more than the the nominal minor variations among people groups. For instance, if you were to take any two people anywhere in the world, scientists have found that the basic genetic difference between those two people would typically be around two-tenths of one percent two-tenths of 1%, that's 0.2%, even if the people are of the same people group, you would see that the differences between them are significantly less than 1%. In fact, these so-called racial characteristics that people think are major differences, this article said, things like skin color and eye shape, those account for only 12 thousandths of 1%, 0.012% of human biological variation is determined or seen I should say in skin color, eye shape and things like that that are external that we would look at and say that's a different race. That's a black man or that's a brown man or that's someone who's from Asia or a native american. We look at the outside and we say we're different. The Bible says we're the same and science proves it. Race is arbitrary. Dr. Harold Page Freeman, chief executive, the president, and the director of surgery at North General Hospital in Manhattan, reiterates this idea. He says, if you ask what percentage of your genes is reflected in your external appearance, the basis by which we talk about race, right? Skin color, eye shape, things like that. The answer seems to be in the range of .01%, one hundredth of a percent. In other words, the so-called racial differences are absolutely Trivial. Overall, there's more variation within any, within any group than there is between one group and another. In other words, what he's what, what, what this article was saying is that we can actually, scientists can actually find a greater percentage of variation within a people group than perhaps finding the difference in variation between people groups. Race is arbitrary. We know this to be true. You think about it. If a white person is looking for, and I didn't say white, let's, let's I'm going to be frank with you this morning. It doesn't matter what our skin color is. That's why I'm going to say white person, black person, because we're one race. It doesn't matter. We should love each other the same. I'm going to argue for that. So if a white person is looking for a tissue match for an organ transplant, the Caucasian doesn't need to get another Caucasian. That tissue can come from a, Asian, can come from someone who's from Africa, can come from anywhere in the world because tissue is tissue. Human tissue, human DNA is human DNA. The facts reveal that there are differences among us, but they stem more from culture than from what we would call race, more than what we would call ethnicity. And Again, this should not surprise us. I mean, think about it. If we were different races, how could we reproduce across those races? But the truth is we can reproduce with any ethnicity. You can receive any blood type from any people group. You can receive any tissue or organ from any people group. Race is arbitrary. You think about what the Bible says, we can all trace our ancestral roots back to a few people. Trace it back to Genesis 6, 7, and 8 to the family of Noah and his wife. There was eight people that survived the flood. And so our parents go back to Noah and his wife and their kids. You go back even further and it goes back to two people, Adam and Eve. And so we are all of the same race. We all come from Adam. We all come from Eve. Race is arbitrary. What we need to hear today in this debate is that we have far more in common with one another than we have different. The issue is not race. The issue is ethnicity. That brings us to a second truth. Racial division is the result of sin. I just said that Adam and Eve were our original parents, and so I want you to think about that. The Bible tells them here in Genesis 1 and other places, Genesis 2, to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Their descendants did that. They began to fill the world as God commanded But Because of the fall, they became evil, and their evil became so egregious in God's eye, he destroyed the earth, he judged the world, he judged humanity. And only uh, Noah and his family, his three sons and his wife and their three wives survived. Eight people survived the flood, and from those eight people came all the tribes and the nations that we know today. During that time of ancient history, After the flood, the Bible tells us that everyone spoke the same language. And everyone lived in the same general vicinity. They did not spread out like they should. They did not feel the earth as they should. In fact, we come to Genesis chapter 11. And what we find the people doing is that they're seeking to build a name for themselves by building a great city and a great tower. And God judges the people because of their arrogance and their pride and their rebellion. He scatters them across the world changes their language, which is how he scatters them. God gave each family group their own language. If we were to back up just a little bit, let me just kind of paint the picture here of what's happening. Prior to the Tower of Babel, you've got everybody speaking the same language, living in the same general vicinity. And and, and so, because of that, the gene pool is kind of churned up. And so, there's a there's Perhaps not a lot of variation, I guess, and, and so things aren't like solidifying skin color, and everybody's kind of probably looks the same at that point. And then the Tower of Babel hits. God changes their language. He gives each family group their own particular language. And now, because of the barriers that weren't present before, they begin to isolate, move off into various places of the world. That's how God scatters them across the world, right? You've got these great migrations happening. There's barriers taking place. Now it's not just a barrier of language. It's a barrier of distance which creates cultures. So you've got certain family groups who looked a certain way or at least they had a certain gene pool. They begin to multiply and grow, and a culture uh, begins to develop around them. They also have a particular look about them, so you have what we would call races today. Great barriers between them as people scatter around the world. Because of all this, the language, the barriers, the the geographic issues, they no longer freely mixed with one another, and so the result was a splitting of the gene pool. These cultures formed, certain features became predominant within those groups, and the characteristics of each became more and more prominent as new generations of children are born. So what happened is what we see today all around us these ethnicities formed, and these ethnicities formed were the direct direct result of sin by our ancient ancestors. Rebellion and disobedience caused their scattering, caused their language to be changed. And so the division between them, though, was and is the direct result of sin by those who live or who are alive at the time. So sin caused the scattering, but the prejudice and the Racism and the fighting amongst groups wasn't just the result of that sin at the Tower of Babel. It's the result of sin within their own hearts. They began to love their kind more than they loved the other kind. And it still happens today as we choose ourselves or those who are like us over someone who is not like us. It's a wicked heart that leads us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And that wicked heart causes us to favor our kind over and above the other kind. So this de-evolution, if you will, of humanity is seen in how the Egyptians regarded the Hebrews. If we were to keep reading in Genesis, we would come to Genesis chapter 43, where Joseph has been installed as the second in command of all Egypt under Pharaoh. The famine is hit, and the brothers of Joseph have come down from Palestine to seek food out for their family, and they don't know Joseph is there, that they sold into slavery. Joseph invites them to his house. Here's what happens as they're beginning to eat the meal. The Bible says they served him, that's the Egyptians, served Joseph by himself and them, his brothers, by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. You see how racial tensions stemmed all the way from Genesis chapter 11 to what we see in Genesis 43, and the same things happen today. Racial division is a direct result of sin. Now, some would say, you know what, I don't know if I agree with that. In fact, what I do see in the Bible is that the Bible is kind of promoting racism, promotes this idea of prejudice. To that statement or to that accusation, I would strongly disagree. I would say that the reason for that is because the Bible doesn't focus on the various ethnicities other than one thing, and that is it emphatically says that there will come a day around the throne of God that every tribe, tongue, tongue, people and nation will be represented there. That's the, God, that's the Bible's focus. It's not that there's this people group or that people group or that people group and God chooses and favors one over the other. It's never that. God says all will be represented before me because I love all people. For God so loved the world. That He gave His only begotten. He didn't say, "For God so loved Israel that He gave Jesus." Or God so loved the Russians that He sent Jesus there. No, He says, "I love the world." Thus He came. He gave. Might wonder then about Israel's command to eradicate the nations from the Promised Land, or the prohibition to marry outside of Israel. Yes, God did command that Israel was to destroy the nations occupying the land that God had given them. But here's the reason for that. It wasn't because they were a different ethnicity. The reason was because that people group or those people groups had ample opportunity to repent and turn from their sin, their idolatry, and worship the one true God, and they continued to refuse. And so judgment came upon them, just like judgment is there for us if we refuse to repent. God didn't tell Israel to go in and just, through genocide, wipe them out for the sake of wiping them out. It was a judgment against the rebellion against God. And then the other question, well, what about the command to not marry outside of Israel? Again, it's not about people group. It's about religion. Better yet, it's about spiritual things. It wasn't so that the people in those nations or around Israel weren't good enough, it was that they were idolaters. And so if we were to go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, God gives a clear command through Moses just before his life ends as he reiterates the law to Israel. He says it's not about people groups. It's about their love and affection for Almighty God. And if you will intermarry them with them, they'll draw your hearts away from the one true God. And we know that is exactly what happened. Solomon, king of Israel, married women from all nations around Israel. And what does the Bible tell us about him? They drew his heart away from devotion to God. It's not about race. It's not about ethnicity. It's about spiritual things. So the Bible focuses on two kinds of people, the redeemed and the condemned, those who are freed from sin, those who are still under their sin. Here's, Here's a statement. The Bible doesn't care about the color of a person's skin. The Bible cares about the color of a person's heart. Is it wicked, dirty, filthy, black because of sin, or is it clean, as white as snow? Are they in Christ or not in Christ? That's where the Bible places the emphasis. We know that human beings are born into this world as sinners, therefore, they sin and sin greatly. This sin is seen in prejudice, it is seen in racism. That thing, Those things are innate within each and every one of us. It is an inherited sin because it's sinful. It's also a learned sin that we learn from family and friends and our culture as we decide that we're going to choose those who are like us more than we're going to choose those who are not like us. I was thinking on the way to the church this morning of what Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, I believe. And Jesus basically says this, if you're not willing to leave family, mother, father, siblings... home, culture, basically, if you're not willing to to leave everything in this world, in your culture, to pursue Jesus, then you're not worthy to have Jesus. And so what does that mean for us? As a follower of Jesus, our identity has to be in him and his church. So it doesn't matter that I'm a Caucasian, that I'm from middle America, that I'm a whatever classification I want to put there. The main classification needs to be upon my life and my home is that I'm a follower of Jesus and I belong to his church. That's the focus. And so when we come into the church, we ought to look like the culture around us, the community around us, whatever ethnicities are there ought to be in the church because our identity is not in those things. I'm not known as a white guy, though I'm a white guy. I ought to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ first and foremost. And we share the gospel with others because that's the identity that every single person needs. Now, is there anything wrong with those other things? Absolutely not. I'm glad that I was born and raised in northwest Arkansas. I'm glad I'm an American. I'm glad I'm white. But here's the truth. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't put the DNA together. I wasn't around. I was just a figment in my daddy's imagination, perhaps. I wasn't around during that time. God constructed me. God knit me in the womb. He caused me to be born where I was born, grow up where I was grown up. It was not anything of my doing. So I don't need to feel bad about that. I don't need to look down on someone else because they didn't have my upbringing. None of that. We're all equal and intrinsically valuable before God. So we just rejoice in who we are. We rejoice in others and who they are and where they come from. But when we come to the gospel, it doesn't matter about those things. It's level at the foot of the cross. That's the message we preach to a culture. We don't preach a message that says one Ethnicity needs to, to, to be over another s No, that's wickedness and evil, and we all can agree on that. The atrocities that's happened for thousands of years with those is, that issue of slavery is wicked to the core. It's sinful, but we, don't, we should not tarry there. We should run to the cross and let that, as a follower of Jesus, be the defining moment in our lives. Today, racial division is an issue, and it's an issue because it's a sinful thing. And so we need to recognize it for what it is, evil and wicked. It's rebellion against God. It's rebellion against his creation. It's part of the brokenness that we live in with this fallen world. And so on our own, we need to realize there's nothing that we can do, but thankfully God is all-powerful, and he can reconcile. That brings us to a third truth that I'm going to share with you. I was going to say quickly, but you know the truth. (laughs) Racial reconciliation has been achieved in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to make the argument. Verse 11. Therefore, Paul says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, circumcision, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Excuse me. Paul here in these verses, and I'm going to try to walk through them quickly, identifies two religious groups, right? Who are they? Gentiles and Jews. Jews had received the witness of the law of God. That's what Paul's saying here. The Gentiles were without a witness, without a way to know God. The Jews, we know, were God's chosen people. He chose Abraham, and through Abraham was going to make a great nation who would be a blessing to the nations. And if we look, that, look at it through the eyes of the gospel, we know that it's not about uh, uh, inheritance from a physical standpoint. It's about a faith inheritance, that through Abraham's faith, the nations would be blessed as people look to God through the same eyes of faith. The Jews could have and usually did look down on Gentiles because of that, that lineage, that heritage from Abraham. Gentiles, to some extent, resented their prejudice. Ethnicity, as Paul writes here to the Ephesian church, writes to a bunch of um, Gentile believers, ethnicity was not the point that he was seeking to make. He quickly moves past the ethnic disparity, and what does Paul focus on? He focuses on the spiritual disparity. He describes how Jesus Christ takes the Jew and and the Gentile and through faith makes the two into one new man. Verse 15, he took the two and he made them one. In other words, through Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, he's broken down the hostility that both had with God. You see, Jew and Gentile both are hostile to God. Because all of us are sinners. All of us have that same Adam, that Adamic blood running through our veins. that's sinful and in rebellion against God. And so all of us, doesn't matter if you grew up in a Jewish home, your blood is Jewish. You can go and trace your lineage all the way back to the times of Jesus and beyond. You're a sinner and in need of Christ. Or you're a Gentile like you and I. We're sinful and in need of Jesus Christ. But Jesus through what he did on the cross, breaks down that hostility between God and you and I, as well as in the hostility between one another. Because now in Christ, through his peace, we're one with God and one with others. Today, because of the cross, we do not have to strive for racial reconciliation with one another. Why? Because Jesus has already achieved it. You see, if I have Jesus in my life and you've got Jesus in your life, though our skin is different color, though our eyes are different shapes, though we may speak different languages, we're one in Jesus. I love my African brothers in Uganda that I spent so many years with. Love them. Can worship with them. Love doing ministry with them. Our skins look different, but we're brothers and sisters with different mothers. None of that stuff matters. I can worship with people in in Barcelona who are maybe North African in their ethnicity and in their culture, but we're one in Jesus Christ, and so we're brothers and sisters. We're family together. It does not matter what we look like. It doesn't matter the languages that we speak. It doesn't matter the cultures that we have. Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled to one another, reconciled to God and then to one another. So please understand me, though. As I say all of this, I'm not downplaying anyone's experience or hardship. We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. Unfortunately, sin often creates environments that do not work good for others, do not help others, perhaps even oppresses and keeps others down. It does seek to condemn it leads people to pit themselves against other people groups. And there have been and will always be systemic racism in the world in which we live. And here's the reason. The world in which we live is broken. The world in which we live is sinful. The world in which we live is wicked. And it's in rebellion against God. So we need to understand that. So the, uh, the, the alternative or the thing that can help in the culture is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't stand it like, well, there's nothing I can do. No, we live a life. That's in reconciliation with other people of different colors. And we do that first and foremost through the church. And as Jesus is in my heart and loves all people, I'm going to love all people, even those who are not a part of the gospel, part of the church. But I'm going to love them. I'm going to accept them. I'm going to celebrate their culture. I'm going to just identify with them in any and every way I possibly can because I look at them through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin's always going to exist until the very end of time. Thank God there's going to be a day. This is what's so beautiful about what we're studying in Revelation. There's going to be a day when Revelation 20 becomes a reality. And sin, hell, and the grave are cast into the lake of fire. Done away with with for all time. But until that day, all of these things are part of our lives. So we need to understand that... These sins today will not and cannot be eradicated. Can they be pushed back into a corner? Absolutely. But it's not through psychology. It's not through sociology. It's not through legislation. It's none of those things. It's not pushed back through rioting and burning and, and, and overthrowing of governments or whatever someone may want to do. That will never cause the issue. In fact, what the reverse is actually what we're seeing, is that those who feel oppressed want to oppress the others. I'm getting ahead of myself into the social justice message, but that's, that we're, that's what we're seeing here. So it's not about that. It's about the proclamation of the gospel, that we live out the gospel before others, that we share it with people. We show them that we can be reconciled to one another through Jesus Christ. So the gospel is the only answer. It's the only answer for any sin. We as Christians, we must see the intrinsic and eternal value of every human being because each person bears the image of God. And we as Christians must passionately preach the gospel then and call people to respond to Jesus. He's the answer for their sin. He's the answer for those who hate, have hate toward others. It's the only answer. We must love as Jesus loves, do as Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? Something that drove the Pharisees nuts. He hung out with people that no one else would hang out with. Lepers. I mean, he'd touch them. Come here. Let me touch you. You got a leprosy in your arms. Come here. Let me touch that. And he'd touch it and heal them. Hey, you're a tax collector. I'd like to eat dinner with you this afternoon. Let's do that. And everybody's sitting around thinking, how, how could he be a teacher? How dare him go eat with him? Doesn't he know that that's a sinner? Oh, wait, that's a prostitute. She's been caught in the very act of adultery. And yet Jesus stoops down and has the audacity to say your sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus did. So what do we need to do as those who would say we follow Jesus? We do likewise. Let me give you four action steps, and I need to close. Our hospitality team, they, they just raked me over the coals last week because we went so long, and it was, it was, it was the sound crew's fault. And <laughs> Four action steps, and then um, we'll close. Number one, let's celebrate the ethnic and culture differences in others. And I think as we look at what the Word of God says about ethnicities, I think, we're, I think it's something we should do is celebrate the ethnic and cultural differences in others. Hey, let's be honest. We're not colorblind. And here's something. Why should we be colorblind? If you plant flowers in your flower bed, I planted wildflowers, and so I wanted all kinds of different colors and things to come up. they are taken forever to come up. and, And starting to bloom finally this week. What do I want to see in that flower bed with wildflowers? I want to see all kinds of colors. I want to see different plants, and I want them to all look different, and I'm celebrating the beauty and all that. Here's what we ought to do as we look at other people. Celebrate the differences, because God does. Celebrate the cultures because God does. I love, and if you've been overseas with me, or if you've been overseas before, you probably love it too. But I love sitting down with the people groups that we're sitting with or, or ministering with. I love to eat their food, though sometimes I'm thinking, goodness gracious, I just want a hamburger, especially when you're in South Asia. I just want a hamburger, I just want that, but I love to, to interact and experience the cultures and the differences. And so we need to celebrate that. We need to enjoy that. We need to celebrate and worship God and thank Him for all of that. That this world is not dull, it's not boring. No, there's life, there's differences. We need to understand that we are not colorblind and should not be colorblind. But we need to rejoice in how others are different, how they look different, act different, speak different, come from different backgrounds. Celebrate it because God celebrates it. Number two, be sensitive of the atrocities other ethnicities have experienced. We should not gloss over the things that have happened in the past. We don't need to turn a blind eye. At the same time, here, listen, everybody listen to this online here. We should not bear the guilt of those events that happened in the past. I I wasn't here for that. But I do want to make sure those things don't happen again. I shouldn't feel guilty over that, nor should anyone else. We should understand it culturally. We should understand it from a a historical standpoint. There's no need to feel guilty over that. Instead, we celebrate the differences. We celebrate all that is a part of our lives. We don't turn a blind eye. We learn. Number three, be honest about your own personal bias and prejudice. Again, we're not colorblind. I, I was raised in a town that didn't have any black people for the First 15, 16 years of my life, I never saw a black person. You had to go to the next cities to see just the way it was. I mean, the, I didn't grow up in a, in, a, in a family or anything that was overtly racist. It just, we didn't know those things. Again, we go back to Genesis 11. The, the people who had differences began to scatter, and, and we naturally gravitate to the people who are most like us. And so black community lived in Fayetteville. White community lived in Springdale. And then it became not just white, but also Hispanic because of the poultry industry in northwest Arkansas. It's just the way it was. I don't know if there's right or wrong. But we need to understand that there are just innate within us uh, that tendency to be biased and prejudiced. So we need to have self-introspection all the time, looking at things that we say, being sensitive to the things that might offend others. And then fourthly, seek to love and accept all peoples because all are made in the image of God. God is no respecter of persons. His grace is available to all nations, all peoples. If you're going go to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19, go to all nations, ethne, people groups. It's the Greek. That's the command of every Christian. We don't just take the gospel next door to people who look just like us, sound like us, have our southern culture and all that. No, that's not what we do. We get on a plane and we go overseas. We... Get in our car and we drive across town to take the gospel to someone who doesn't look like us, doesn't have the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. So, regardless of one's sin, here's the good news grace is available to all. Grace is available. So, whatever the Lord would show you this morning about your own personal life, your view on these things, and, and let's be honest, we're all tense. I, we're if you're, if you're smart, you're finding yourself these days thinking, you know, I'd probably be better off not to watch the news. Right? Amen? I mean, some of you are already there. I go there and then I revert back. I was like, I can't get off the news. It's such an ingrain in my heart in my life. We need to understand that grace is available. So wherever you're at, whatever God may be showing you about how you view these things, do you look at people through the lens of the gospel? They're created in the image of God. God loves them. Jesus died for them. And you have the opportunity and responsibility to love them to Jesus, which involves sharing, caring, and vocalizing the gospel. Where are you at this morning? How can we make a difference in this culture that is so racially divided? We live out the gospel. Pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning that though our... Our hearts are full of sin. Our hearts are wicked. Our sin has separated us from you. We're born into that sin, and because of that nature, we do sin, and we reject you, and that just becomes a habit in our life. It's who we are, and all of a sudden, we hear the gospel, and we respond to it in faith, and you change our lives, and then, Lord, we're on this journey of faith together together as the people of God and you're growing us and shaping us and helping us become more and more conformed to your image not the image of sin not the image of wickedness not the image of of idolatry we don't want to look like ourselves or like someone else lord you're conforming us so that we desire to look like you you're the one who loves all people God, in this day and age in which we live, which is so racially divided, may we be those who can bring healing and restoration. And we know it only comes as we live out and share the gospel with those who desperately need it. Help us to be vocal. Help us to be caring. May we not turn a blind eye. God, I know that there's a tendency to just say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm not even going to pay attention. I don't think we need to do that, Lord. And so help us to engage with those who are closest to us and move out from there. Lord, this morning, if someone is sitting here and says, you know what, I need a relationship with Jesus, I pray this morning, maybe online, they're watching. They've heard us talk about how Jesus can bring all people together and think, I need that in my life. I need to be uh, united with God. I'm separated because of my sin. I pray this morning, you'd give people the boldness and the courage to say, would you help me with that? And this morning, I pray they'd be able to, t- to take their phone or their computer and send us a message and we'll follow up with them. Follow up with them this afternoon. So bless them. Move into this time of response. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna sing a song, let's stand to our feet.